Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to a new edition of the VanCast. Jay Patton Drancer with you as we close in on the big announcement from the National Hockey League that hockey is on its way back. Drancer, all signs and indications certainly pointing to that middle of January return. And this is a hockey podcast, so we'll talk a lot about hockey. But I, I do have to say that you're a man of your word, and I commend you for that because video has surfaced. You, you told us the other day that you were... Uh, part of this choral group. You were part of this choral group. Was it high school or university? University, yeah. I, I wasn't just part of it, j Pat. I ran it. You, you, well, I see in the video, you were the front man. Yeah. Without well, No, No, we switched off on that. Sometimes you got different solos, but I, the, the, like, I wasn't just in the choir. I founded the choir and managed it. I, I was the GM. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, a good look, good sleuthing from our, our buddy Buck Faustin. Uh, well done, sir. Uh, he DM'd me yesterday, by the way. Buck Faustin, having uncovered the video of me embarrassingly singing Semi Charm Kind of Life, messages me and goes, um, Are we okay? Like, am I in trouble? <laughs> and I'm like, No, man. Like, well done. Like, don't worry about it. I'm not embarrassed about it. Like, we've all. We've all done silly things in college, you know. If the if the if the worst dirt you ever get on me is that I can hit high notes, um, you know, I, I'll live with that. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I was watching it and I'm thinking to myself, like, it looks like the lost tapes of Drance's edition for Pitch Perfect Four. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that would be a weird, weird episode of Pitch Perfect. I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> What isn't weird is that, it, I mean, we are. We're, we're closing in on this news that, man, we've waited for, we have talked about, we've kind of spun our wheels at times here. What are we going to talk about on the pod? Waiting for the big announcement from the National Hockey League. We're not there yet, but uh, where there's smoke, uh, I think pretty shortly here there's going to be some fire. Yeah, I think we're moving in pretty quick. And, and you know, Dr Darren Dreger, our TSN colleague, reporting today uh, that it looks like a January 3rd opening day for camp. So that's nice. I was worried about the first man. I didn't want to go to camp hungover. Um, so, you know, looking forward to getting back into a rink, looking forward to, you know, all the storylines that will emerge and, you know, putting a mask on and watching in that phase three style environment. I hope, I hope, right? Like I hope media is able to observe camp. I, I trust that we will be, um, but look, it's going to be really interesting. Like this Canucks team is poised to be really interesting and an all Canadian division is just absolutely delicious. Like 
Toblerone at Christmas level delicious. It's going to be intense and fun and high stakes. Like the bragging rights for one Canadian fan base that is going to emerge as the champions of Canada, which I think we should call whoever wins the All-Canadian Division. Like, whoever wins the All-Canadian Division are the champions of Canada. Um, I think the bragging rights are through the roof. Like, I think the Twitter arguments are going to be legendary. Like, I think this is going to be a really unique, really weird, um, really fun year of hockey. Uh, I mean, we won't get to see it live. Most fans won't get to see any of it live. We, we hopefully will get to see some games live, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And I just hope that it can all be executed safely uh, because as we've seen, like managing to play safely now is a very different challenge than managing to play safely in August, as we've unfortunately seen with the World Juniors. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I thought of you midweek when I saw the Flyers announce the signing of Philip Myers, and, and that was like the signal that hey, maybe these shackles that you've talked about and you wrote extensively a couple of weeks back on, you know, how the league had shut down and there hadn't been any sort of player movement of any kind. And then with one player signing, I thought of you and I thought like, all right, let's go. Like maybe this is the first of many. I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, there's going to have to be this flurry of activity that we've talked about. And, and certainly the Canucks, you know, it doesn't qualify as a flurry of activity, but they get some work done with Jalen Chatfield. Uh, although after all of this time for Jalen Chatfield, uh, like it essentially is him taking his qualifying offer, isn't it? Um, I don't. I think he took less than his qualifying offer, but he got a higher uh, minor league salary. So, um, yeah, no, he took less than his qualifying offer. He would have been entitled for more if he'd simply accepted it before the deadline. But he, you know, gets an extra fifty k uh, in the American League. So nice little deal for for Chatfield, and, and importantly, he keeps his cap hit at the league minimum, 700K, which, you know, is good. Like, that's a big deal for a Canucks team that we know is going to be tied up against it in terms of the salary cap, especially if they spend into whatever LTI space they're able to create with Michael Furland in the event that they do. Uh, so, you know, it also gives them a matching cap hit with Brogan Rafferty. And for a guy who's going to be you know, on the edges of the roster, but have a real chance to make it. Like, I like that play uh, cynically from Chatfield's camp to make sure that there's no, you know, $50,000 cap hit surplus that keeps you out of NHL games, right? Like, just matching your competition in terms of the actual dollar figure of your cap hit. To me, that's just smart business if you want to actually earn that NHL-level salary during the 2021 league year. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in that perspective, but I suppose uh, you're right. You want to, If you're an agent, you want to give your client every opportunity to you know, realize his dream. And this is a guy that's been around the NHL and has been recalled, but still waiting for Jalen Chatfield to get that opportunity to make his NHL debut. Yeah, and I mean, look, Chatfield does not have an offensive track record that suggests future NHL player, right? Like we're talking about a guy with 10 points in his last 82 AHL games, no goals, but he's fast. He definitely can play black and blue physical hockey. He can kill penalties and that's going to give him an edge. I think and that at least is his edge. Like that's the case for Chatfield when you're looking at who fleshes out the Canucks defense core this year. Um, you know, that that he has certainly over Rathbone and Rafferty, neither of whom I think are going to be looked at to kill penalties. And, you know, 
on a defense core that already has Quinn Hughes, who we know isn't going to kill penalties, I, I think. I mean, I, I'm pretty confident about that. Um, you know, that's not a bad edge to be bringing to the table. That's, you know, uh, what sort of allows you to maybe make the case that you're somewhere in between Chris Tanev and Troy Stetcher. Yeah, which apparently, <laughs> according to GM, that was uh, Jim, Jim Benning, that was the quote uh, to, was it Coos or Patrick Johnson? Uh, Patrick Johnson. Uh, yes. So, I don't know. Like, I have watched Tanev through his career. We've seen Troy Stetcher. I, I don't know how you see Chatfield as a hybrid of those two guys, but hey, whatever. That was uh, the GM's words, not mine. And uh, we'll see. Like, it, it's funny because at other times here in this offseason, you know, Jim Benning has sung Chatfield's praises pretty highly. I, I didn't get that sense necessarily in those quotes. I, I just, I'm confused a little bit by that quote. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think when Jim does those player comps, like I think he's talking stylistically. I don't think he's talking about the quality of the player necessarily or like caliber. You know, people overreact to them and be like, "Whoa, he dropped." You know, a Datsuk comparison for a guy who's like a middling defensive forward or whatever, right? Um, I don't think he's saying that this guy's going to be like a Hart Trophy nominee. I just think he's saying his game reminds me of. Um, and I think that's what he's getting at with Chatfield. Like, Chatfield's got more of that two-way defensive profile, similar to Stetcher and Tanev, but, um, you know, clearly based on his AHL track record uh, and based on what Stetcher and Tanev have accomplished at the NHL level, um, you know, it's not to that degree, and, and it never will be, like, frankly, right? Like, the absolute best-case scenario still doesn't have Chatfield becoming the player that Troy Stetcher is, in my opinion. Um, I don't think they're, like, far apart in age either, right? Like, Stetcher is, what, a year, maybe two older? So, um, you know, the, that's not a reasonable expectation for Chatfield, but I think stylistically is what Jim's talking about. He's He brings more of that two-way profile, uh, similar to what Yulevi does, and, and distinct from Rathbone, who I think the Canucks anyway for now see as more of an offense-only guy, and Brogan Rafferty, who I think we know, you know, still has some of those details to, to iron out in his overall game. Yeah, and look, we've talked about this before, but a lot of times you go to camp and really you can mark it out on, you know, your own whiteboard, your own wall chart, whatever. There might be one or two jobs up for grabs but like it really is going to be fascinating to watch this battle of all these young guys on defense and and Jim is on the record now saying that you know he thinks the time is now for the Canucks to move forward with some of these young guys filling roles like you know especially with no exhibition game like that's the other wild card in all of this right like they're gonna have to make decisions on guys that either haven't played in the NHL or have barely played in the NHL and if there are in fact no exhibition games like it's game on at camp, like for jobs yeah. in the National Hockey League. I know it's crazy. It's going to be like Phase Three on steroids, right? And yeah. I'm yeah. I'm here for it. Like I'm here for it. It's going to be fun. Uh, but I still think, you know, for for me, as I look at up and down this roster, and as I look at the remaining UFAs, like there are 14 UFA defensemen who played at least 15 minutes a game in the NHL last season and dressed for 20 games or more. Right? Like there are 14 depth defender options still available on the market. Now, some of them are not great players. Um, some of them are pure depth guys, guys like Slater Cuckoo, who we all know is a, is a favorite of mine. But, you know, there are 
bodies there to be had if the Canucks want to shore up their depth, um, you know, in free agency. And and obviously there's guys on the higher end of that too. There are, you know, Travis Hamannicks or, or Ron Hainsey's or, or guys who you could credibly see slotting in, you know, beside Quinn Hughes maybe even, right? So uh, for me, the leverage of kicking the tires pretty hard on, on players like that, uh, I, it doesn't necessarily take a young guy who comes into camp and is clearly ready out of the lineup either. Like if you bring in, let's use Hamannick because he's the most popular example. Like if you bring Hamannick to camp uh, or sign him, you'll, you'll need to sign him because he's going to get a deal from somebody um, play him. You know, the idea is that he replaces Tanev on a, on a pair with Quinn Hughes. Then you've got flexibility. Like you've got flexibility. If a lefty earns the job, like they can play with Tyler Myers on the third pair. If a righty, if Chatfield earns the job, he can play with Edler on the third pair. And and what a good opportunity that would be for a young guy to earn to learn the ropes. Like they'd be beating out Jordy Ben for a job, as opposed to beating out each other to play with Ben. Right? Like that to me just seems like a healthier dynamic, uh, and doesn't close the door in my view to some of these young guys breaking through should they arrive at camp and be ready to help a team win at the NHL level. All right, so you know, I know you know, because you texted me when this TSN hockey fan survey was posted earlier in the week, and you were like, let me take the survey on the pod. And I was like, nah, I don't know if we're going to go through all 40 questions like that, because we've kicked around so many of the topics. So uh, yeah, I, I, I know you were the GM of your choral group. I, I'm going to make, <laughs> I'm going to make an executive, I'm going to make an executive decision here that we won't run the entire gamut of this TSN survey. And if people haven't taken it, I would encourage them to do so at the TSN 1040 website, and it stays open until uh, the end of Business Day Friday, and then uh, we'll see what the results are uh, next week. But there were a bunch of questions that I wanted to throw at your at you, or at least out there, and then we can get into some discussion about them, because uh, I think there are some topics that we haven't covered off here Um on the pod, and we've been doing it twice a week, uh, even without hockey for a bunch of months, but I still think uh, there are a few things that we haven't necessarily scratched the surface on. So uh, one of the questions that's there is, do you believe the Canucks currently have the players and prospects to win a Stanley Cup in the next three seasons? Yes or no? I, I mean, yes. I think you have to answer that question with yes, because the building blocks are clearly there, right? Like you don't, in terms of the pure quality of the players in this roster and their age, right? Like you've got a 22-year-old Elias Pettersson, you've got a 21-year-old Quinn Hughes. You're still a full calendar year away from both players being in what we'd statistically consider to be their prime. Uh, when you've got those types of building blocks and then, you know, Besser, a 23-year-old, Bo Horvat, 25, uh, JT Miller, still a few years shy of 30, um, you know, to me anyway, that indicates that you've got the players on your roster to take a credible shot over the medium term. Uh, we all know, though, that they're not going to get there without significantly upgrading their depth. Uh, that said, like, upgrading your depth is theoretically the easier task than accumulating the elite talent sure. in practice. However, in practice, however, like there are a lot of elite cores that have, you know, forget being contenders 
have have failed to be consistent playoff teams because of what's going on lower down their lineup. I think the Canucks are going to be in that position this upcoming year. Like I I think they'll be a playoff team, but I think they'll be a playoff team in part because they're in an all Canadian division, right? Like I don't know on true quality or on true talent if they're you know a top sixteen team in the NHL this season. I, I think they'll get there this year, but you know in part because they're going to be in in a division that at least based on point percentage accumulated during the 1920 season is the weakest of the NHL's three divisions. So uh, work to be done, but I think the answer has to be yes, just in recognition of the elite talent that's been assembled. Um, Now it's just about surrounding them. And and that's going to be tough in a world where that elite talent's going to get massively more expensive uh, over the time frame that this question covers. Right. And so a companion question to the initial one is, how many pieces do the Canucks need to add to their current core to be legit Stanley Cup contenders? I think another top four defenseman, uh, another top four defenseman, a high-end third-line center, and another really good top six winger. So for me, I'm going to pick three. Fair enough. The four options were none. You think that this group will just continue to grow and we talk about adding Pud Colson and Hoaglander. That's why the initial question had players and Got prospects. It. So the options were zero, one or two, three or four, five or six. And you're in that three to four category. I'm in uh, that three to four. Okay. Um, is it okay? And I'm curious to see what the response to this one ultimately is when the survey is closed. Is it okay for the Canucks to take a step back this coming season? Yes, it's part of the process, or no, the bar has been raised now. No, the bar has been raised now. 100%. Like, you can't, for me, you can't take a step back in the final year of Hughes and Pedersen's ELCs because it's only going to get harder to surround them with the depth you need going forward, right? Like, it's only, the difficulty ratchets up significantly. You know, I hear people... Like, I, I made a reference on 1040 today to the Canucks being built like a Jenga tower at the end of game state where they're too top heavy, right? And someone responded to me with like, um, you know, Toronto fans are like, well, we've been in that position for years. And it's like, yeah, because they've paid their top talent, right? Like their top talent's been paid and now they're locked in with cost certainty and sure, some inflated second contract values, uh, but but they're they're locked into that now because their top guys have been paid. The Canucks are in a previous iteration of their development cycle. And now going forward after this year, surrounding those guys with the talent, like adding what the pieces that I just said, another top four defenseman, that's, you know, market value of four and a half million dollar piece and a really good third line center. That's market value, another $4 million piece and a top six forward market value, another $5 million piece. Like that's, 19 million in cap space that you have to find a way to fit into your puzzle and, and or find efficiencies on in a world where you're probably going to be paying Hughes and Pedersen somewhere between 15 and 22 million dollars um, going forward. Like that's going to be really, really tough. Not to mention Thatcher Demko. Like if Demko plays the majority of games and is an out league average goalie, he's probably a three and a half to four and a half million dollar player next year too. So, you know, no, it's not. No, no, absolutely not. Zero percent not tolerable to take a step back at this stage of a team's life cycle. 
fine, that's your answer. But earlier you said you think they're a playoff team in an all-Canadian division. Like, I, I still think there are going to be people that forget that when COVID hit, they were below the playoff bar. Like, what the Canucks did best was get invited to a 2014 tournament and then hit the turbo boost button. Like, you know, it, there was no guarantee they were getting into a 16-team playoff last spring. That's what, like, we can't go back and no, make it but, all happen. But, but those 13 no, games... No, but they were, they were above it by point percentage. And below it, just in actual fact. Right? Yeah, they but were, they, they played they played two fewer games than Winnipeg and fewer games. Like, they, they were... I mean, in there was mid- no guarantee. Though. There was no guarantee no, they were going to make. No guarantee, absolutely no guarantee. And and in fact, they were flagging, right? Like they were flagging, no question. Um, look, I, I I still think they would have made it. I think they would have beat out Winnipeg and Minnesota um, and Nashville. Like I, I I do believe that, but I guess that doesn't matter. What I believe doesn't matter. In fact, they didn't make the playoffs over eighty two. Um, so you know what? Sorry, the point you're trying to make is that. They, they could got invited be just to, as good. Yeah, like that. They, look, Jacob Marstrom's gone. We questions about their goaltending. We have questions about uh, who's going to play in their top six on the wing. We know that in the bubble, the bottom six was an issue. the The best players were the best players in the bubble. That's the best thing the Canucks have going for them is that their young players are incredible. It's can that group sort of carry this. Uh, the rest of the team along over the course of a regular season to get into the playoffs because you can't get to game seven of the second round unless you qualify for the playoffs, right? Like first steps first. And that's the point I'm making is that we'll never know with those 13 games that they didn't get to play. They they had a tough schedule too. They had Vegas twice. They, they had Winnipeg on that Sunday right after COVID was hit. They had to go into Colorado on the, you know, back to back after uh, the game in Arizona was canceled like the schedule wasn't easy for the Canucks and so no uh, again we, we'll never know so it, it, it sort of a moot point now to argue what might have happened it's just that if people don't think that they've improved an awful lot in this offseason then the challenge of simply getting to the playoffs I think is going to be that much more difficult you hope for improvement from within you hope that Pedersen and Hughes can drag this group along and do their magic and and hey if you're going to bet on two guys those are two pretty good guys to bet on. No question. And and look, I guess the other thing I just want to note is, is it acceptable to take a step back in terms of not getting within seven minutes of the conference final? Yeah, that's acceptable, like for sure. I just don't think you can go from doing what the Canucks did in the bubble and what they accomplished last season um, to missing the playoffs in the last year of Pedersen and Hughes' ELCs. Like to me, that would not be, um, you know, progress isn't always linear. But taking a step back when you've got two elite talents, you know, making on entry level deals in a cap system, like to me, that is, you know, not not confidence shattering, but certainly something that would give me significant pause in terms of how I evaluate what this team's going to be able to do in surrounding those players with the pieces they need. Like this is the off season where it was a buyer's market and yeah, cash was you know, at a premium, but like you have elite talent, you have elite talent making 3 million combined against the cap. And we don't know what this looks like beyond it, but like if Pedersen's a top 10 scorer in the league by points, goals, point percentage, like, you know, they'll, they'll have a $2 million additional cap penalty on the books from the overage, most likely. Plus, you know, you know they'll be paying him especially if he's a top 10 scorer in the league like they'll be paying him you know 10 million 
12 million. It might be 9 million on a three-year bridge. Like, holy shit. You can't, you can't be looking at those financials and, and what the books look like beyond this season and not recognize how unique an opportunity this was. The fact that they're already positioned to prioritize the long term and, and not take advantage of it. Uh, but they still have to make the playoffs. Like, they still have to make the playoffs, especially in an all-Canadian division. Like, that expectation should be a firm expectation. And that's what fans should expect. Like, you know, uh, the idea that you don't expect them to necessarily be able to take Vegas to Game 7, like, fine. I'm sense if, if, if taking a step back is not quite being that close to the conference final next year or this upcoming season, like, uh, you know, that's tolerable to me, but I, I think the expectation should be firm. Like this team has to make the playoffs in the last year of Hughes and Pedersen's ELCs. Um, otherwise I, I really think it's time to go back to the drawing board in terms of the construction of the overall roster. All right. And that's sort of the downside of a, a static survey like this is, you know, there's no true definition of what a step back is. So you leave it to the respondents to answer, you know, however they feel in their own mind. But again, we'll, we'll, tally up the votes here and, and see what the people think uh, sometime early next week. All right, now I need you to sort of get out a character, which may not be that easy for you here. It is a fan <laughs> survey. The, the survey was designed for the average fan. And look, I, sure. think, our, I think our listeners are hardcores, right? Like, eh, hopefully we have some average oh, fans definitely. too. But, but if you're seeking out content when games aren't being played, I think that qualifies you as a hardcore fan. And it's great. We need the VIPs, absolutely. But... So uh, this question is asked to the fans, not to you, Thomas Drance, but you know, do you know, do you feel you know what John Weisbrod's day-to-day duties are with the Vancouver Canucks? Do you think the fans have a... Sorry, so you want me to forget what I know and <laughs> yes. answer this as if I don't know? Step sideways, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, this is a dangerous one, Jay It's a bit Pat. of a mind bender here, but yeah. Well, but you know what? I don't think the casual fan knows what any guy in the front office does. Like, do you think the casual fan knows that, like, Chris Gear, um, you know, runs point on a variety of contract negotiations? I do. I think, I think now people know that Chris Gear is the contract guy. Right. And do you think fans know, like, that Ryan Johnson is player development and the GM of Utica? I do. I, I again. I think hardcore. I think our listeners know that those are Ryan Johnson's duties with the hockey club. Okay, and so do you think they know that John Weisbrod's like Jim Benning's right hand guy on 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 everything, right? Like he's the the primary sounding board for Jim. I think that's what most people would say if you asked, "Hey, what does John Weisbrod do on a daily basis?" Yeah, he's Jim Benning's sounding board. He's uh, yeah, he's his right hand man. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So then I think the answer is yes. I I think that in that in a world where we're assuming that level of knowledge, I think people know what John Weisbrod does. He's he's, you know, he's Jim's guy. Like he's does a ton of scouting and um I think he's involved or at least heard on a variety of uh, of different things. I think he's super active in trade talks too, right? Like that's what a lot of AGMs do. They they spend a lot of time on the phone just crushing and and sort of um being a dog on the bone in terms of seeking out opportunities and pitching ideas and looking for ways to upgrade the team. I think Weissbrod does all of those things. And, and so, you know, in a world where we're assuming that level of knowledge, like, yeah, I think John's roles are, are understood as, you know, he's not necessarily got this specific arena of responsibility, uh, but he's got his, you know, he's got his, um, 
He's got his beak in a lot of different pies that the organization's got going on. I'm looking forward again to, oh, I mean, I'm looking forward to the results of all these questions, but I am kind of curious just to, to see where uh, the fans fall on that one. Uh, you mentioned Elias Pettersson. Obviously, uh, we talk a ton about him and for all the right reasons. Uh, I think you, on this pod, you said at one point you would talk to somebody in the hockey world that believed he would win a scoring title. Yeah, I heard that from a pro scout. Yeah. Right. Okay. So so the question as it's posed on the survey is after a pair of 66-point seasons to start his career, where will Elias Pettersson top out with his most productive NHL season? 70 points, 80 points, 90 points or 100 plus. I picked 90 for this. I I just think I just think that Pettersson is not like to get Sometimes to get 100 points, you need to play a certain way, right? Like, Dreisaitl and McDavid, for example, know that they have to score two points a night for their team to win, right? Because that's kind of how the Oilers are built. And and thus, they play a certain way, right? Like, Dreisaitl's had significant two-way issues in his game. I, I don't think McDavid... Like, th- w- when's the last time you saw McDavid's speed employed on the back check? Like, has there ever been a McDavid back check highlight not that comes to mind like doesn't that tell you everything though like every time this guy moves everyone in the hockey world's like oh my god like why haven't we seen a mcdavid speed highlight without the puck why yeah. no that's fair question. you know like yeah like petterson petterson plays a certain way i don't think he's gonna look for offense right like uh, I had a, a discussion in my mentions the other day with a guy who was talking about like what could Pedersen do if he shot the puck more, and it's like, well, if Pedersen shot the shot the puck more, he wouldn't be the efficiency monster that he is, right? Like Pedersen, sh- Pedersen just makes the right play. Like that's how he thinks about the game. Uh, this is a guy who's going to drive goal differential. He's going to drive outscoring opponents more than he's going to drive his own point totals. Like that's just how he plays. That's just how he sees the game. I think that's natural for him. And as a result, I don't think he's going to be, you know, your 120 point, 110 point guy necessarily. Uh, I think he's going to be your 90 point guy, maybe, you know, 80, 80 to 90 point, like consistent point of game guy still sort of carrying the mustard offensively, but doing it in a way that's always going to be about winning first. And I mean, that's just how I think he processes things. Like that's just how he sees it. I think he's that type of competitor and, and that's why, you know, I don't think he's going to necessarily like, I heard from a pro scout that they thought he was going to win an art Ross trophy. Um, you know, I, I sort of went wide eyed. I was like, wow, that's wild. Um, and not cause I disagree just cause I, I just think as I've seen him more, as I've talked to him more, as I, as I feel like I've got a better sense of the person, I just don't think that matters to him the same way, you know, not losing night to night does. You know, it's funny because we have heard comparisons to Pavel Datsuk, right? As just like this two-way freakish monster, essentially, that can dominate at both ends of the ice. And so I was thinking, man, did Datsuk ever get to 100 points? I looked it up. No. This four-year span is incredible, though. For for Pavel Datsuk, sort of in the, the prime of his career, 87, 87, 97, 97. And wow. his ninety his 97 point seasons in 2007, 2008, and then again in 08, 09, and they got to the final in both those years. I think those were the two years that they faced the Penguins, right? Um, yeah. But in his in his 97 point seasons, 
The first one, he had 31 goals and 66 assists. The second year, he had 32 goals and 65 assists. Like, he essentially turned in identical 97-point seasons. Like, you can't ask for more consistency than that. No, and and most importantly, led the league by Corsi 4 percentage. (laughs) But I'm serious, right? Like, that's what he did. Like, he just dominated play uh, to an absurd degree. Like, we're talking about the... So we're talking about 2008-09, right? Uh, yeah. Or, yep. sorry. Yep. 07-08 yeah, was the first about... year, and then 08-09. Right. And, you know, I, I guarantee you that his underlying numbers for 07-08 and 08-09 um, combined were, like, absolutely pornographic, right? Just, like, completely ridiculous. I bet you, like, I bet you the Detroit Red Wings outscored their opponents by, like, 50-plus with Datsuk on the ice in those two seasons. And that was against tough minutes that was you know the matchup assignment every single night um you know he was an outrageous outrageous talent and I don't know that we've ever seen anything like it before I don't know that we'll ever see anything like it again I know fans like uh the the Pedersen comparison for Datsuk but let's not forget too like Datsuk was also the best face-off guy uh you know the best defensive guy like there there's still there's still a lot of room before um before Pedersen gets to that sort of level. Uh, room to grow in terms of his responsibilities, in terms of his ice time. But, yeah, I mean, that is, like, I don't I don't see, um, I don't see Pedersen getting there easily uh, by any means. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that'll be where he lands even, but uh, that's certainly more in the mold of the type of player that I think he is as opposed to a guy who's going to be, you know, an offense-only points guy. And not an offense-only points guy, but, like, a guy who really racks up uh, the point totals. I, I just kind of think his game is different than that. All right. We'll stick with Patterson. He's one of the options here. Which Canuck had the most encouraging individual playoff performance? Horvat with 10 goals, Patterson with 18 points, Hughes with 16 points, or Thatcher Demko running at 98-5? Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think I'd pick Pedersen again there, but you know, I mean, hard to ignore. <laughs> it is hard to ignore what Thatcher Demko did, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that was that was that was force field shit, right? <laughs> like, sure. That was ridiculous, and uh, and you know, I also think it served to change the narrative that would have otherwise lingered around him, which was. You know, he got this shot to start in net in February when Markstrom got hurt, and he struggled out the bat. Like, that East Coast trip, that, you know, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, uh, and then he didn't play Columbus, but, you know, those three games, like, the Canucks probably should have won. Like, that Ottawa game, for example, they came back in the Montreal game. He was shaky early and good late. That Ottawa game, they should have won, right? Like, there were a couple McSofties there, and, and that was the difference. And then... The Toronto game was the bad one, though. Matthews tr- coming down yeah. the wing, and, and then, was it Martin Marinchen when he had Demko spinning in the crease after it hit yes. the post, and he just, he could never find the puck again. Like, there were a couple, you know, that's the big stage Saturday night. They had to bounce back from the poor performance in Ottawa, and he and the entire team fell short. But yeah, I mean, early on yeah. in his tenure, it didn't... He leveled off. He found his level... But... Yeah, he stabilized. He stabilized. But that first impressions matter, right? And sure. and I think but but what Demko did in the playoffs, you know, he just aced that test to such an absurd degree. 
Um, you know, and then and then for Pete DeBoer to cite him as something that shook Vegas's confidence <laughs> in the next series. Uh, you know, I don't think I like. I think sometimes coaches don't know and they're trying to answer honestly. You know what I mean? And they and they maybe just like sort of say something and and like I wouldn't read too much into it. I don't know that Demko really dented um, Vegas's overall confidence level. I think we'd have to. Well, we'll ask Nate Schmidt at some point. But the uh, fact remains that you know that was a that was a historic run. By Demko, and if they'd won that series, I mean, that would have been like he would have needed to wear a mask, right? Like that would have been criminal to the point where he probably should have had to disguise his identity more so than you know. I, I obviously Demko wears a mask anyway because he's a goalie, but I mean, like a little black one over his eyes, um, <laughs> like that would have been criminal. The, so the yeah, I, <laughs> incredible stuff. But I still think I still think you take Petey. Like I still think I think about the game two against Vegas, right? Where, um, you know, he sets up the Toffoli goal on the doorstep, um, you know, dominates that game. And then game six, where he's, you know, doing whatever he needs to do at the net front, right? Like this is a guy, this is a guy, think about if Pedersen hadn't done what he did in the playoffs, how people would be talking about him, right? Like they'd be like, oh, this, you know, European player, like has, can he get it done when the chips are down, blah, blah. And it's like, man, this guy pays the price to be at the net front game like shift after shift he's in the dirty areas of the ice manufacturing goals he can do it he can do it as a screener he's like 170 pounds screening goalies at an elite rate in the in the nhl playoffs like there's no question about that now for me uh that i think matters more in terms of how he's viewed in terms of what fans should be looking at excitedly um you know this guy this guy just gets it done and he gets it down with the chips down hey um Looked it up. Pavel Datsuk played 163 games, so he missed one game over that two-year stretch. At five on five, the Detroit Red Wings outshot their opponents by 500 <laughs> over the co- <laughs> 500. <laughs> that's that's legitimately ridiculous, and outscored their opponents by 73, 73, 144 goals for. 71 goals against with Pavel Datsuk on the ice over the course of those two seasons. That, my friends, is dominance. Like, that's two. You get two for every one, right? Like, we get two for every one you get. Um, you know, that's that's ludicrous. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Um, it's so good. All right, Petey. Step up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Good luck. Yeah. And, and look, we're splitting hairs here. And again, it's a personal preference question because... One of the reasons they got to Game 7 against Vegas was because Horvat was that good in the playoffs and Pedersen was that good in the playoffs and Hughes and Demko and these are all these young guys that we talked about. I mean, that's why if you're truly on board with the Canucks in the direction they're headed, it's because of the play of all those guys and they they all answered questions in the playoffs. So it's really totally. just which one stuck out more. All right. Um, sorry, sorry. Let me let yep. me quickly go back to this ridiculous two-season two <laughs> stretch by Pavel Datsuk because I'm looking it over now and it's just so ridiculous. So um, among players who played at least 1,500 minutes over the course of those two seasons, um, the next best guy in terms of goal four percentage, and I'm not counting Lidstrom or... Um, I'm not counting Lidstrom or Franzen or Holmstrom because they all played a ton with, like those, those are the guys who played with Pavel Datsuk. The next best guy is David Krejci and his team outscored their opponents by 30, 30. So by less than half the same amount 
as what Pavel Datsik managed. And next on the list is Joe Thornton, and his team his team outscored their opponents by forty five at five on five. So like the next two best two way players combined managed the goal differential over that two year window that Pavel Datsik did. Like just absolute. Like we've never seen anything like that. In I don't think we've ever seen anything like that in the advanced stat era anyway. Certainly not in the cap era. That was just completely ridiculous. We'll put the survey talk on hold for a sec here. We'll come back with more of the VanCast right after this. All right, let's change gears here. We'll finish up a few more of the survey questions from the TSN no, 1040 No more Datsuk talk? Uh, well, <laughs> who knows? If you, want to inter- if you find more statistics that you think are, are relevant, you just jump on in. Uh, one turn our attention, though. When the Seattle Kraken arrive next season, whenever next season begins, do the Kraken yes. automatically become the Canucks' chief rival? I say yes. You don't think it'll take time to build? I, I mean, it'll take time to build, but, like, I don't think anyone else... I mean, well, so, chief rival. Do I think Canucks fans will care more about beating the Kraken than they will about beating the Vegas Golden Knights whenever they see the Golden Knights again? I don't think so, right? Like, the Golden Knights are still going to be public enemy number one, no? Oh, I mean, it's such a scattershot it's the Leafs it's the Flames with all these no it's definitely not the Leafs let's let's be real it's definitely not the Leafs that is a weird thing like no one really like everyone wants to beat the Leafs in Canada because you know the Toronto Sports Network thing but like the Leafs are not a Canucks rival they've met in the playoffs one time Right, but people still, like, the Bruins, people, every time they play the Bruins, they, you know, I mean, they're always going to bring up No, but that's real. That's that's real, at least. Just like, but, but the, there's that's no rival. Real. But the current rosters, there's zero rivalry between the Canucks and the Boston Bruins. Yeah. No, not until, I think so long as Marchand is there, that's a thing. Chicago Blackhawks? No, not a thing. Not anymore. That was an old Canucks core, and I don't think anyone hated... Like, no one hated Taves, Kane, Keith, and Seabrook. They hated the team. But, yeah, no, but nobody's going like, to hate the Kraken in year one. No, but, but yeah, no, I actually, I disagree. People will hate the Kraken because they're another expansion team that got gifted great players and on and on. And no, I think people will hate the Kraken. I think people will desperately want to see the Canucks beat the Kraken. All right. Um, I say yes. I okay, say yes. I enough. say they're their chief rival. Fair day enough. one. All right, and you've got some history here, so I'm, I'm kind of curious on this one. Uh, which po- no, which potential feature game involving the Canucks interests you the most? I went on at length. I won't go down this road. Oh, yeah, with yeah. The, the Heritage Classic again, but the four options were a Heritage Classic at BC Place, a Heritage Classic against the Oilers at Commonwealth Stadium so that you've got McDavid and Dreisaitl, Pedersen and Hughes. It's accessible. It's an hour flight. People can make the track. They could drive if they wanted to. You know, there's star power, obviously, and a true outdoor game experience, something the Canucks haven't been a part of. That's a big math for me, dog. I don't want to chill in the cold. Winter Classic versus the Kraken at Lumen Field in Seattle. And you know that Seattle's going to want one of these outdoor games, but but I think they're going to have to get in line, right? Vegas hasn't had a chance yet. There are a ton of teams that want in on the outdoor Winter Classic and and the whole cross-border element. Like, the Leafs played the Red Wings at the Big House in Michigan, but really, there haven't been a lot of... Did the Habs and the Bruins play an outdoor game? I think they may have as well. But they're they're sort of the cross-border thing. And the fourth option is the Canucks involved in the Global Series. The survey has Stockholm just because 
you would think that Elias Pettersson would have some cachet, and at some point, maybe the league would look at getting the Canucks involved in something like that. And I know you said on a recent pod, like you did the whole Finland thing with the Panthers and the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I mean, first of all, so, yeah. First of all, sign me up for both the Winter Classic in Seattle, right? And, like, hopefully it lines up. Like, if it lined up so that the... Well, I guess the Seahawks wouldn't be playing locally, right? If you're if you're then going to have But if it lined up with like a bowl game, like a Huskies bowl game or something, like you could build an unbelievable um sports sort of New Year's festivities trip, like a holiday trip to Seattle with football and hockey, like that would be unreal. Like that would be great. I would love to do that. Well, actually, uh, so- just let me on the fly here. I mean, we picked Lumen Field, but maybe the baseball stadium what it is T-Mobile now it's not Safeco but because sure. the Se- the Seahawks could in theory be playing playoff football at that time of the year you know to have the certainty of a stadium in Seattle you, you might do it in the baseball park there and then yeah. you could have you could have hockey one day <laughs> and a Seahawks playoff game the next or 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 if you had like a Seahawks playoff or if you had like late season Seahawks followed by hockey followed by a bowl game there you like go. all taking place in a four game stretch like that would be unreal um that would be so much fun to cover. That would be so much fun to go to as a fan. Uh, I think fans would rather do that personally. Like, I think you're. I think that's going to win. I think that's going to be your winner. But for me, I'd love to see the Canucks play a global series game. Um, you know, like against Buffalo or something like that in Stockholm. I, I just picked Buffalo because of Ross Mistalin. Right. But I mean, yep. it could be Colorado. Um, you know, have to be another team with a big Swedish superstar. Uh, but I think that'd be cool. And I think it'd be cool, you know, like, what about Calgary? Maybe it's against Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> Calgary versus Vancouver and Stockholm. Like, sign me up for that, you know? Um, that'd be great. No, I, I I loved doing the Winter Classic. Or, sorry, doing the Global Series. One of the absolute highlights of my time uh, working for the Panthers. I think those games are really cool. The fan participation's through the roof. The amount of obligations that some of the players sort of, you know, put in, in terms of servicing the local media, in terms of, like, after the game, when we did the Global Series, for example, like, Patrick Lyonet and Sasha Barkov did, like, a full Q&A on the ice. (laughs) <laughs> with the fans in the stands like there was like really? a 20 oh yeah like a 20 minute Q&A event like it's just such a weird such a weird cool thing um the locals get so into it um I think it'd be pretty cool and and I think it would be massive for the Canucks brand they're already super strong in Sweden anyway like they index well there but uh, you know could, could you imagine like the Canucks playing a game say say it was like a they play multiples like say you play two like could you imagine a Canucks game in Ornskoldsvik or something, right? Like you go up to the old Moto Arena. I think that would be tremendous. Like that would be amazing. I think that would, uh, yeah, that for me, that's it. For me, I would pick the Global Series. All right. The final question on the survey, and there was no opt out here. Uh, you had to, in order to uh, submit a survey for your results to be counted, you had to answer every question. And I'm sure there were some that saw the final question on the survey and wanted no part of it. What is the most desired route for a Stanley Cup parade? Georgia Street, Robson Street, or Granville Street? Oh, none of the above. That's not one none of the options. None of the above. Well, that's that's okay. I'm picking none of the above, and I'm picking duck boats around Stanley Park. Uh, didn't the Bruins use duck boats? I don't think you can do that. 
You can't so rob what? from the Bru- you can't oh, so what you can't rob from the Bruins tradition. No, but but imagine fine. Maybe it's just like whatever. It should be a it should be a marine tour, and Vancouver should line up around uh, the seawall. It would around, probably be False Creek, right? Like no, into, screw that. Well, Stanley that's Park. That's where the rink you is. Have, you have you have the second biggest urban park in the world in this completely distinct scenic location with mountains as backdrop. Um, you know. Maybe it starts at the rink and goes reverse around and ends at the convention center, but it should be on the water and it should be fans lining up along Stanley Park going nuts. And hey, Jeff, now we've planned the parade. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Well, what better have, than ba- what have we done? <laughs> be- be- better than Bay Street, anyway. <laughs> hey, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun, uh, welcome TSN Hockey Insider Darren Drager to this week's Two Man Advantage at the Athletic. Drags with. All the latest, and uh, certainly LeBron and Burnside tapped in as well. So if you want uh, uh, to know what's going on around the National Hockey League and how quickly uh, we may see people and players back on the ice, uh, want to check out the two-man advantage pod. Uh, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. And don't forget, if you aren't already a VIP, subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive two all-access subscriptions for just the price of one. Now, you told me you did fill out the survey, right? I did, yeah. All right. So your vote will be counted. And Yay! I had, had, a lot of, had a lot of people ask when will <laughs> these results... Uh, I think the radio station, we're going to let Monday breathe just because coming out of a weekend, there's usually a lot of content. So uh, I think the results of the fan survey will be released to the public uh, online and on the air on Tuesday. So it should be some fun and should uh, certainly give... Uh, people on the radio station things to talk about and perhaps uh, fans around town and maybe some podcasters as well well yeah though i do hope we are more like into the weeds on what return to play looks like and exactly how difficult the canucks's decisions are going to be with a you know taxi squad and and whether or not the canadian federal government's going to allow canadian teams like is is Winnipeg really going to be able to, you know, think about the outbreaks in Winnipeg, in Edmonton? Like, are, 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 is the Canadian government really going to allow a team from those locales to visit places like Ottawa with lower rates of transmission? Like, is that really going to happen? Or are there hurdles yet that we're going to have to see surmounted by the NHL and setting up and figuring out how to compete safely um, during the second wave? Uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that we're more into the weeds on what exactly that all looks like uh, by next week. But but we'll obviously still touch on the survey, especially if there's any really weird results. And, and uh, I think there will be. I think this is an idiosyncratic market, right? Like we're gonna get we're gonna get a couple of results that drop our jaws. I think, JPAD. Well, I can't wait for our next pod because something tells me you're going to bring some serious Pavel Datsuk heat. You're going to go deeper <laughs> than you've already gone, and we're going to yeah. get the full full broad spectrum story of the career of Pavel but who by the way Pavel Datsuk at 42 or 43 is still a pointy game guy in the KHL like he's still going strong over in Russia oh he'd still be he'd still be really really good there's he'd be, the, uh, he'd, he'd be the best he'd be the best red wing let's be honest wow <laughs> all right Dylan yeah, Larkin I mean, Dylan Larkin may have something to say about that but he'd also he'd also be good on real NHL teams <laughs> All right. Let's I'm just kidding. There. I'm just kidding. Detroit will be way improved this year. 
Let's leave it there. Uh, all right, for no answer, it's JPAT. Uh, good fun. Uh, all the best, everybody. This holiday season, we'll continue to push out uh, VanCast as we work towards Christmas. We may slow down in the week around Christmas itself. But uh, in the meantime, awaiting all of this news, and certainly when it drops, uh, we'll be back with another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.